Podcast. We're two modern mamas with the goal to inspire, empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hi, friends. It's another glorious podcast day, and I wanted to hop on to give you a secret heads up on something that we'll be sharing next week on the podcast. Think connection, think relaxation, think the ultimate mama gathering that you won't want to miss. Okay, if I keep talking, I'm going to tell you the whole thing, so I'm going to go. Okay, love you. Bye. Mm -hmm. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. Uh, this is Laura here for this week's episode, and I have a very special guest on that was actually referred to me by a listener just like you, and I am thrilled to have her on. So today's guest, I want to make sure I say this right, is Marianne Hermsen Van Wanroy. Is that correct? You're doing very well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I try my best. <laughs> um, and she is a baby's natural development expert, and I get questions about this all the time since we first, basically since Evie first started moving. And so I am thrilled to have her on today. And I'm going to read this bio because it's very, very impressive. So Marianne was born in Venlo, the Netherlands in 1951. She completed four year physiotherapy training in her home country in 1974. She specialized in neuro pediatrics ever since until she stopped practicing physiotherapy in 2007. Marianne wrote and published her first book, Baby Moves, which I've known about since just before Evie was born, um, thanks to my friends over at BirthFit, in 2002, and her second book, Baby Moves for the Child with Special Needs, in 2007. Marianne's work currently involves sharing her knowledge through her books, teaching, and public speaking worldwide. She is also very busy researching and learning more about children's development in today's society and how she can help better the equipment available and improve common child-rearing practices. So Marianne, thank you so much for coming on today, for sharing your wisdom, for writing your book, and for really helping me in so many ways, honestly, with um, the way that we supported Evie. My daughter is now 19 months uh, through her development. I'm very grateful for your time and energy and all of your insight. So thank you. Yeah, and it's very exciting for me to hear that you hit my book at the right time. So that's very good news. Yes. My friend Erica Boland um, rec recommended it to me when I was pregnant. And so I put it on my um, registry and was so grateful to be able to learn and really implement a lot of your wisdom into the way that we, that we parented her. And honestly, what was wonderful for me is that uh, according to, I guess, society standards, she was a late developer. Um, she didn't hands and knees crawl till she was 12 months and she didn't walk until she was 17 months. But because I was equipped with the insight from the work that you've done, I wasn't worried. So it really learning a lot of what we learned, um, took away the stress from one big part of stress that can come with parenthood. And we all know there's enough of that. So being able to not worry about, um, the pace at which you developed more about the stages was really impactful for us as parents. Um, but I'm sure we'll dive much further into that <laughs> in just a moment. Um, before we get into all the meat of the episode, I do want to ask just one question because we always like to do a little icebreaker. And my question for you is, um, 
it's summer in New Zealand, correct? It is. It's, it is. And it, and it happens to be one of the most beautiful days. You know, we've, we've had a few weeks of nothing but clear blue skies. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm currently oh, sitting. I'm currently. So my family and I, we live in a van uh, here in, in, uh, in the States. Oh. And, yeah. And so I'm sitting, my husband, I'm sitting in the parking lot of a library and my husband and daughter are in the library reading books and I'm in the van recording with you and it's pouring. <laughs> so or, yeah. It's a bit of a contrast. Totally. It's so fun. So what is your favorite thing about summer in New Zealand? Well, I, it's not just New Zealand. It's actually Nelson, New Zealand that I live in, okay. which is the world's one and only real paradise. Oh. <laughs> we have got rivers. We have the sea. We have the mountains. We've got the, the city itself, which is a cultural buzz. Yeah. So, yeah, there are many elements in here and life here that really appealed to me and I never get sick of it. I've been here the longest I've ever been anywhere in my life and I'm definitely intending to stay here. Well, we'll have to come visit you. I've, we've been to Auckland and Queenstown, um, but now I'm oh. adding that to my list as the probably top. New Zealand's my favorite place I've ever visited, so now I have an, a new place to add. <laughs> yeah, I can recommend it. Okay, we'll have to come see you. We'll leave the van over yeah. here. We'll fly over. I think that's probably best. Awesome. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, awesome. So um, let's dive in a little bit more to your story and how you got where you are. So would you mind sharing a little bit about um, yourself, how you came to do the work that you do, and you know what got you to following this passion to you know, <clears throat> give people insight into baby's development? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's of course a result of my career in which I worked with children with physical disabilities for most of the time and initially that was in the Netherlands with reasonably severely disabled children and gradually I developed a liking for children who were not within the category of disability but who had learning difficulties at school and behavioral problems. And as physiotherapists, we worked with those children because it was discovered that if we improved them physically, like improved their posture or their movements, that they would also then do better at school. And that was very much the start for me because you know we at that time we got those children referred to us at school age so they were either seven or eight or even older and you know you looked at those children and to improve their movements we would have to go back to teaching them movements that should have occurred naturally in babyhood and we were very surprised to find out that over and over again, you know, just improving their physical skills would help to improve their learning at school and dissolve the behavioral problems. So at the time, it was a real problem for me to see that those children 
had to wait for so long to get help because the, the parents were aware that these children had had problems from quite early on. So I started to see them younger and younger and got, I still was frustrated. And in the end, I decided I need to work with the babies at the baby stage. And that's what I've done. Over the years, the children I worked with got younger and younger. And in the end, I only worked with the babies. So if I talk about what was it I did with the baby, it was mostly, you know, observing the babies, looking at how the parents um, were with the babies. And then, unfortunately, I had to then tell the parents that, they had to stop doing what they were doing, which, of course, is a real dilemma because you don't want to make parents feel guilty. But right. all the same, I wanted the babies to improve. So I had to tell the parents to stop doing certain things that were, in fact, very common for parents to do in society. And parents have the tendency to copy other parents, you know, they see a parent placing a baby in sitting and think, or maybe not even think, but automatically start to copy what other parents do. Now, I'm talking here about the 70s, early 70s. And at the time, they were quite, and I don't know worldwide, you know, how that is at this stage. I'm sure it still happens. But at the time, there were many children who, at baby stage, were shuffling around on their bottoms instead of commando crawling or crawling on their bellies, you know, and normal crawling. And in the older children with the learning difficulties, it was obvious that many of those children had never crawled. There was definitely a link between the development of learning difficulties at an old stage and the lack of crawling in babyhood. So the parents would come to me with a baby and say at about 11 months, and the baby would be sitting but basically also be stuck in that position. And that was very common. They would scoot around on their bumps and couldn't get out of that position, couldn't get into crawling, or also had difficulty moving on to the next stage and getting to walking. So therefore, they'd be referred to me as a physiotherapist. Hmm. And at that point, the difficulty was like, oh, what are we doing here? And I had to tell the parents to stop placing the child in sitting, the baby, and instead lie him or her on the back. Which, of course, for the parents was like, that was so different to anything they'd ever heard of. Mm -hmm. And it felt to them like we were putting the child even further back. But if then, within a week of doing that, they could see the difference in the child and how all of a sudden the child's world opened up, these parents came back to me and said, why has nobody ever told us this before? Why don't we know this? And I said, well, because 
apparently nobody knows. And it was the parents actually who encouraged me to write the book. They said this knowledge so needs to get out to the world. And the knowledge in fact was available, but only to professionals like myself. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't common knowledge. And also amongst the professionals, most of them were influenced by what came to them, like doctors were very much influenced by, for instance, the work done by Dr. Ellingworth, with all due respect to him, but he had come up with checklists for doctors in which it was stated that, for instance, at six months, the child is able to sit independently. But that was based on if the child had been placed in sitting from very early onwards. And so therefore that, that model was used worldwide by professionals, by doctors, but also other people who were involved in the development of babies. So for the parents, that meant that if a child was assessed somewhere, if the development was assessed and the child wasn't sitting at six months, you know, they would be told that that wasn't right. So the parents would go home and start to sit them mm. if they had done that up until that stage. But most people would have done that. So it was a matter of parents very much getting the information that that's what they had to do. They had to take their children from one stage to the next. And so I was very influenced by a neuropediatrician who looked at all this from another angle. And his name was Dr. Voita. He was a Czech trained in Prague pediatrician who had a different outlook on child development and he advocated that it was very important that the movements develop from the child and that the child is not being taught movements. And when I discovered his work, it was like the world opened for me. And I have studied all his work a lot and started to use it in my practice. And you know, I have had such good results in my work because I had access to his knowledge and I'm very grateful for that still. But also I've learned so much from all the children mm -hmm. through changes they make and what I saw happening that I felt it was my responsibility to then let in particular parents uh, benefit from this knowledge because there were no parents basically who were aware of this knowledge in the 70s and ongoing. I'm, I'm surprised sometimes how many parents still, um, you know, let their children develop based on the idea that, you know, they place them in positions the children really aren't ready for and they still are stimulated to do that by the professions. And, I don't really want to criticize anyone. I have great respect for all those professionals. But at the same time, 
um, I want to do what I think is best for the children. So I will never stop advocating to do things in a different way in which the development actually comes from the child because nobody knows any better than the child himself or herself you know what's next because it is a natural process that just evolves yes wow so that's for your question absolutely i can i can hear the passion in your voice <laughs> it was perfect. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear is just your, you know, a little bit about your why. And I think one of the things that stood out the most to me in all of that um, is that you said you pretty much learned most from working with the, with the babies. And I think that is a true testament to a, a really um, in, intentional practitioner when you, you're not so set in any specific way, you're open to learning from the people, in this case, these tiny little people that you're working with who aren't talking to you, but are showing you what works and what doesn't and what they need just through the way that they move and through the way that they behave. And I think that that's really, really important to note. Mm. Yes, thank you. It's awesome. And I think that's probably one of the problems that we have a lot of times when um, potentially improper information is being put out, but we kind of, you know, sometimes it's easy to get stuck in a certain way and this is the way that it's been done and this is the way that I was told it should be done and these milestones are the way that children should develop. Without and, and a baby's not going to question a doctor because they they are babies, <laughs> and so yeah. the parents aren't going to question the doctor because they don't know different, and that's what their peers are doing. And so I think this work that you're doing is very important, and I'm excited to um to dive in deeper and and have you answer some of the questions from our listeners. It's a pleasure to do so. I love it. Um, okay, so should you want should I dive into some questions for you? I feel like we don't want to waste time because there are there are a number of them. <laughs> Yes, yes, fire ahead. Okay, so um, one, one first question that we got is how can we best support a baby's motor development? So what gear is best to avoid and what gear, if any, <laughs> I'm adding that myself, um, is, is good to include? Sorry, is that gear? Yeah, so that would be things. I'm, I assume that this question is referring to things like um, any sort of propping device or like a jumper or a bumbo um oh. yeah that kind of okay. thing okay yeah got your question got your question okay i want to keep things very simple there is the floor you don't need to buy the floor wherever you are on this world there is a floor it can either be the ground somewhere or it can be your carpet mm -hmm. and that is the most important <laughs> absolutely it's as simple as that because where do babies develop their movements? After birth, the floor is the area. Of course, also they are being held and they receive all our love when we hold them and care for them. But for the actual development, the floor is what they need. Okay. Lying down, you know, if you simply, and you can see that in my book, if you simply see what they develop by lying on their back, it is the ultimate way for them to get to know themselves, mm. to discover their bodies, to get grounded. There are so many terms that are relevant to that position. So what do they learn when they are lying on their 
uh, on their backs. First of all, they learn to control their head, you know, because when they're first born, the head falls to one side and then it flips over to the other side. And then finally, they learn to actually hold it in midline so they can look up. And by doing that, they develop the start of stability. And then that moves on further down the body, the chest and the arms and hands, shoulders develop stability. They learn to control that instead of just rolling onto the side. They learn to keep their bodies flat and in midline, controlled. Eventually, they learn to control their pelvis, keeping that stable, flat on the floor, and over time, the knees and feet come up. Now, that whole process takes, and it varies, of course, from child to child, but in general, it takes seven months for the baby to really get control over the body lying on the back. So they develop, in fact, what I call the lotus position that we know as adults, that we know from yoga practices or other practices. That position they develop in lying on their back. Takes seven months. Once they are in that position, they are fully in control of their body. They have good balance. Babies who don't have the opportunity to develop that will at a late stage in life when they're walking, running, trying to stand still, never get the same balance as a baby who has initially learned to balance the body simply lying on the back. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I think that I, I kind of yeah. get goosebumps when I think about it because there's like a, there's a sense of empowerment that comes for a little one when they're on their back and then they, you know, do something for the first time, like roll over or whatever the case may be. And yeah. that's, you know, that's done on their own through their own power and by learning to yeah. do that. And I, I remember seeing my daughter do it for the first time and just the look on her face. And I was, that was a proud mama moment for something so simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, so if you ask, we go, you know, going back to your question, mm -hmm. what do babies really need? At that stage, if you think of all the things that are available to babies, and you think about what they do to a baby, like, for instance, let's take, shall we take a bouncer as an example? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean by a bouncer? Yeah, where like, they, their feet are touching the ground and they're kind of jumping, but supported. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't know what age is recommended for a bouncer. Do you know? Happen to know that? You know, I don't because they were they were just not on our radar. We didn't. Um, no, we we had no. already known we weren't going to yeah. use one. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so say people put a child in a bouncer when they are six months old. What what is the effect? The baby often will really love it because the parents are very excited about the baby being in the bouncer. And so the baby always wants to please the parents. As a result of that, they'll be smiling and happy and they will, and then the up and down movement starts and the parents will clap 
and the baby gets even more excited. So then the parents get the perception that the baby really likes it, so we will do this again and again. Now, if you look at the effect that that has on the baby, in the most important path in the development of coordination and movement in the baby is the process of integration of reflexes in the baby. Every baby is born with reflexes. The whole, when the baby is first born, there are no controlled movements. All movements that occur are based on reflexes. Hmm. And my book goes into that as well, you know, to, to show you which ones. But slowly, those reflexes give way to voluntary movements. If you, for instance, look at the development of the hands, initially they're clenched, that is a reflex. And slowly in the process of development of movement, the hands learn to open up. And at a later stage to reach out. The fingers develop the pencil grasp and all of that. Those are voluntary movements. Mm. But if we don't allow those movements to happen naturally, it means that we stimulate the reflexes to stay. And if the reflexes do not integrate properly, at school age, those children are hindered by the remnants of the reflexes still being there. And that's, that's been clearly researched and, you know, worked out like if those reflexes are still there, this is what it leads to at school age. So wow. it's very important that the reflexes get integrated as well as possible. Now, if you put a child into the bouncing net, that we, the bouncer that we were talking about just before, what happens is instead of fluent movements developing, the baby will be kicking and jumping, and those are reflexive movements. They are led by the reflexes. And so it stands in the way of development of nice supple good movement with all its consequences wow okay that that is a really really great answer thank you and then one that kind of came along with it is um what do what do you um or what do what exercises or playtime positions do you recommend for newborns through three months so i assume based on your previous answer that there's no position aside from laying baby on his or her back is there any exercises you recommend, or do you just kind of let them develop as they as they will? Um, yes, develop as they will. Okay. That is the most important thing. They, what babies at that stage, on all they want to do really when they are on their back, for mm -hmm. instance, or on their bellies, is to learn to get comfortable because they are not very comfortable with the reflexes. Right. And they've got all these reflexes, but as the baby learns to relax and the reflexes with that disappear, the baby will feel comfortable. 
And again, that takes time. And that is the most important thing. Because ultimately, from those positions, the baby wants to go and explore the world. Mm -hmm. The only way in which a baby can do that is if the body is able to explore the world. So initially, the baby is not that interested in the world yet. If you leave it to the baby to develop, they are only interested in their own bodies, in, in, in feeling their own bodies. That's really what makes them happy and pleasant. And by doing that, the, inf the reflexes will slowly be replaced by lovely voluntary movements. And so if you ask me, do you need to do exercises with a baby? I think, where does that come from? Mm. Why would you? However, it is important for parents and children to bond and be connected. And so the way to do that is hold your baby, cuddle them, love them to bits, and be one with them. And there was a time where a baby massage was very much used for that. And, and in Chapter 8, I try to uh, show baby massage, in fact, through, done through squeezing. Mm. Because in the early stages of development, babies really want to sense everything very deeply. And therefore, automatically, we pat them on the back or on the rest of the body. We hold them and rock them because that's in keeping with where the sensory development of the child is at, at that stage. So just working on the skin works better at, at a later stage. So at that stage, if there is anything that you really, as a parent, you feel you need to do, hmm. ex, you know, if you could call it exercises, it isn't really, but letting them feel their bodies by lovely gentle squeezing but again only if your baby really likes it and because babies tell you what's right for them or what isn't then they know it so clearly and we have to listen to them and also what's right for one baby is not necessarily right for another one and it's the same with parents certain things really gel with one parent but not with another mm -hmm. I love that. I have goosebumps because, you know, I get asked a lot about like, what should I do with my baby? And, and my, my response is always what, you know, what, what feels right to you? Because I know how, what feels right for myself and my child, but it's really hard to give advice sometimes when I don't know, I'm not in your brain or in your heart and I don't know your baby. And so, um, I think that that advice is, is really wonderful and just be there, be, be squeeze your baby, massage, do baby massage. Um, and we did get two questions specific to belly crawling. So one said activities to do with baby when trying to belly crawl and make the transition. And then the other is um, my, 11, my 11 month old only army crawls with both hands and feet together versus like alternating. And so she wants to know if there's anything she can do to support her baby. And so and do in those cases even, is there any support or would you similarly just say 
be present, hold your baby, maybe baby massage, but let him or her develop on in uh, in its own time. Okay, okay. If you follow the development in my book, mm -hmm. then it's basically the most ideal development. That's most ideal, but okay. that doesn't mean that all babies do it that way. Mm. The same as that I had to put certain ages with certain stages of development, but that doesn't mean that all babies do it at that time. There's an enormous variance between different babies. So that's in time. Some babies develop very early and there's nothing wrong with that and other babies develop later and there's nothing wrong with that either. That's up to the babies. They know what stage they're ready for. It is the same in a way with allowing babies to make those movements and in such a way that it feels right or evolves for that baby. There is an enormous variety. I'm talking, of course, here about babies that are healthy. You know, there are conditions that babies can have where it's, you know, certain conditions are not within, you could call it the normal range. Mm -hmm. And, you know, children like that would usually be under a professional. So I don't want to talk about those children at the moment, but still within the... You know, the typically developing children, there is still a lot of variance. Um, so back to the questions. If a baby is placed on the back, gradually they develop their movements. And in general, those movements are all very much the same. If you place a baby on the tummy, not all babies would like that. And if your baby is not happy on the tummy, don't leave the baby there. You know, give him a cuddle and put him on his back. And you may want to try it again at a later stage, but some babies never like it. Most often, though, they don't like it because, that's from my experience, uh, because it's combined with parents then trying to get them to look up. Whereas, again, as I mentioned before, the most important thing the baby wants to learn to do first is be comfortable in positions. And when you place them on, the, on their tummy, the first thing they like to do is see if they can get comfortable. If we try and stimulate them to do something, like lie straight or look up, we don't allow them to get comfortable and they get upset. Hmm. But even if we don't do anything, there are certain babies who do get upset when we put them on their tummy. And then that's just not the right position for them. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Very, very helpful. There's um, a big variety and some children do the belly crawling using one arm and one leg. Ideal, you want them to alternate mm -hmm. from side to side, you know, but not all babies do that. Do not get stressed about it. Just mm -hmm. think, okay, you know, this will 
also rectify itself again. And you will often see that once those children move um, into crawling, that then they do that properly. Yes. Evie was that way. She was, uh, she was like a little gremlin, we called her, because like one of her arms would come forward and the other one wouldn't. She was a little bit cockeyed. Um, I do have a question on that note. Do you ever recommend like osteotherapy or chiropractic or, or cranial sacral? I think that's what we did with her. Um, just because, I mean, it wasn't, we weren't concerned, but it did, it did seem to make a difference in terms of just balancing things out a little bit. Is that something you ever recommend or know much about? Yeah. Yeah. If as a parent, you're worried about something that's happening in your baby and there is something that you find that alleviates the problem then go for it right if it's craniosacral therapy that does it well then go for it if it is the grandmother who comes to visit and pats the baby on the back then go for that <laughs> you know yeah it's different for everyone and some people have magical natural healing powers and without us even aiming for it you know children respond sometimes in a very positive way to people but definitely I have seen very good outcomes from you know for babies who followed the path of going to a cranial sacral therapist and get adjusted that way yeah awesome okay that's super helpful um, thank you for that. And then another one we got, cause you mentioned, you know, one of the things you can do to support your baby is just to hold them and love them and, and snuggle them. And so we did get a question. Um, this listener asked, does propping a baby to sit extend to holding baby in lap in sitting position? If so, is, is that, is that a problem? I guess. So holding your baby on your lap or wearing them in a carrier, um, that kind of thing, is that, considered propping and if so is that a problem is there something is there a specific type of caring you recommend what are your thoughts on that okay this is all you know if i look at the ideal development for babies mm -hmm. as described in my book then carrying a baby in a front pack or you know it's it's not advisable mm -hmm. but the baby is not the only important thing. Mothers also have to survive. And if carrying the baby in a front pack helps the mother to keep her sanity, then that is the best thing to do. You understand what I mean by that? Hey, Nothing yep. <laughs> is absolute. If I purely look at the baby and the baby's development, I would not recommend a front pack. Uh, even it, but, in, or is inward facing is outward facing is there a difference there or are they both pretty no, much similar neither neither okay. because and i mean the, the manufacturers of these things will probably not like what i am saying but i honestly have never seen a front pack and i've looked at i suppose i, I won't say all of them but many of them and always no matter how you strip them in baby in a vertical position and especially when it's being walked about or when the mother is walking with the baby in the front pack or the father is walking with the baby in the front pack there is no way that you can stop the effect of gravity on the body and it's yeah i don't recommend it for the baby 
but if it helps the parent to get through the day, then I definitely say, yes, use it by all means. But at the same time, don't use it longer than you need to. Like it that. is not, in my opinion, a good thing for the baby. Awesome. Yeah, we, I, you know, I did it not, I wouldn't say all the time, but relative with relative frequency, because there's a lot of times when my husband was out of town and I had to take the dogs out to go to the bathroom or get, get on walks yeah, for yeah. my sanity. And, yeah. and we yeah. talk, we talk a lot on this podcast about it kind of being definitely being a judgment free space. And, you know, mom has to practice self care in order to care for her child. So I like the way that you answered that. I really respect that. And that the baby's not the only one here. We have to take care of ourselves too. Um, mm -hmm. and then I guess on a similar yeah. note, we have strollers. So someone did uh, write in saying she's she's about to be a, a mom for the first time and she's not sure whether to put a stroller on her registry. We opted out. Um, I personally just preferred to wear her than to, or carry her versus, um, do strollers. We tried to find a balance of yeah. just carrying when it was both of us, but yeah. if we were alone, you know, yeah. we wore her. So, um, yeah. on that note, what are your thoughts on strollers? Hmm. You will see in my book and that, um, that I don't recommend a position that's unfortunately very common where the baby is in a, in a reclined position. So not sitting upright, not lying flat, but in between. Unfortunately, it's very common. First of all, there's all the car seats. Um, of course, I don't know what's happening everywhere in the world. I know what happens in my home country, the Netherlands. I know what happens in New Zealand. And I don't know whether that is worldwide. But what I see and have seen is that in car seats everywhere, children are in that semi-reclined position. Mm -hmm. Uh, same with strollers, many of them are um, in the semi-reclined position. I can't think of any stage in which that would be a natural position mm -hmm. for a child sitting. Mm -hmm. And what it does is, we talked about integration of reflexes before, and the importance of reflexes disappearing into the background, becoming properly integrated, sitting in that semi-reclined position stimulates the reflexes in the legs. Mm. Yeah, and so, you know, people who do yoga, they all know the importance of sitting upright, preferably in that lotus position that the baby learns to get into when lying on the back and then later when they come up into sitting that again is the most ideal position for them as soon as you put them into the stroller even if they sit upright it's best if they can sit in that you know within knees wide apart but as soon as you put them in the reclined position the legs won't be able to do that because of the way the reflexes come in. So it's, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer because realistically, as far as I know, and I don't know everything that's going on in the world, but when you look at babies' prams, so I'm talking about where they are able to lie completely flat. Most of that equipment, as far as I know, 
is safe to have the baby in flat in a flat position until they are six months old. I don't know. Do you know that? Yeah, the, the, the only one I saw is up a baby, and um, uh, definitely there's an age limit. I believe it is six months. You can't go beyond that. Yeah, yeah the up a baby is six months, and it is quite short as well. Uh, I, I think if a parent was aware of the importance of keeping them lying down flat, it would allow for them to lie down for longer. But it's also that people are not aware that they need to stay flat for longer, and in my opinion, until they can actually themselves get themselves out of the lying flat on their back position. Um, ideally, I would like to see a flat pram for the baby until they get themselves up into sitting, or, you know, as long as it's safe for the baby to um, stay in that pram, and that's usually until about, and again, there is a variance, but I would say between eight and 10 months that it should be safe for the baby to lie down. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there's nothing that I can really suggest to parents there because most prams are not, the babies are not able to lie down long enough. So that's a difficult one for me to answer, but important for the parents to be aware of. But also to be aware that once the baby at, say, 10 months or whenever, is able to sit independently, he should never be in that semi-reclined position because there's no need to. It's much better for their posture, their spine, their joints. If at that stage they can well and truly sit upright. So... Yeah, and then, I mean, there's obviously car seat, which is, um, we don't have a choice because yeah. <laughs> for safety, yeah, but outside of that, yeah, our car seat always stays in the car. Yeah, 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 and there's no choice there, you know, definitely, please don't say that I say it not. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, I just, I just remembered, there's this, um, it's like a wagon, it's called a Veer Cruiser that I, we've had our eye on for a long time, but now that we live in a van, we don't really have space, but we probably will do it with baby number two. And it does actually allow for baby to lay down. And then as they get older, instead of having any sort of recline, it's just a wagon where there's two seats that face each other. And baby, their child just sits straight up and they're just buckled in like a, I don't know, like it's like almost just like a bench seat. So there's no laying back, which I think is really cool. And I'll link to it in the show notes. And it's definitely something we would love someday to own. Um, but that is the only thing that I've seen even come close to, you know, Offering I'm very that. interested to. I'm be very interested to look at that. So if you could please send me the website. I will. Too. I will indeed. Yeah. That'd be great. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Well, that was a wonderful response. Again, uh, so much wisdom here. Um, let me see what I have left here. Um, I do have another one specific to premature babies. So this this listener said recommendations and tips for preemies. Um, her, her little one was seven weeks early. Is there anything in that case that a mom or dad could do to support development? Or is it kind of a similar situation where they will, they will come to it and find it on their own? Similar. Yeah. Exactly the same. Lots of holding, deep touch. Mm. Lots of petting, tapping, gentle rocking. 
and yeah those babies will need more warmth and love for longer to help them to grow and develop and also apart from that completely give them the trust that you trust that they will come right oh, goosebumps there's something magical in that, in that trust. Um, and, and one thing I talk a lot about is body wisdom. Um, and we lose that somewhere along the lines, I think, as adults, a lot of us do, especially women, you know, mistrusting our bodies, wanting to lose weight, et cetera. And I see how... <laughs> yeah, right? And dieting and not trusting our bodies to know what to eat and know how to move. Um, and so I deeply believe that when we can trust our babies to move on their own, we're instilling a sense of body wisdom in them that they can hopefully hold on to. And so when you say that, I get, I'm, it's weird that, uh, maybe not weird, but in, interesting that a, a podcast on baby movement and development would have me getting emotional over here. But just those words really stick with me that, you know, it just being there for them and touching them and tapping them and loving them and, and ultimately trusting them, I find to be so powerful. Hmm. And it is the way, way for babies to grow and develop, honestly, you know, to just allow them to do it at their own pace and fully supported by the parents, not given the impression that they need to do better than what they can, because that will make things worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think coming at all this from a place of when, when you know more then you, maybe you change things up, but not having any regret or remorse or guilt over what you've done thus far. I think that doesn't serve anybody. Guilt is probably the least, um, the least effective emotion that we can feel. So I think I, I love that, that it's important to, to do what you can with what you know and what you have and your resources and the best that you can. But the worst thing we can do is beat ourselves up. <laughs> We're just all trying to do the best that we can. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. Well, um, I think that gets us to about time in terms of questions. I think there was a lot of um, repeat questions. So I love I And I also feel like you answered a bunch just in your intro, which was amazing. So if you had any final thoughts or words for our listeners, um, any major takeaway that you'd like them to leave with, what would that be? Buy my book. Give it to as yes. many people as possible. <laughs> <laughs> because there are still too many children mm -hmm. who where the parents don't have this knowledge. And once they discover this knowledge, it's all parents want to do. But unfortunately, the majority, I think, still hasn't got access to it. So if there is anything I'd like to ask of all your parents is please help me in this quest. And whatever I can do, please ask me to do it because it is my mission in life and it's what I want to work on. So also it may be important at this time to tell your readers that my book is only available via my website. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is that when I published it, I had to self-publish it because it was so uh, non-mainstream and it wasn't, yeah, I felt based on many you know reasons i felt at the time that i that it was better to be, uh, self publish and also to only sell it via my website because in that way it gives me a very good inkling, um, indication all the time of where the world is at in developing 
mm-hmm. um, you know, where people want my book. Okay. Not for me, but knowing where I need to step out. And I'm working at the moment with a woman on a Chinese translation, also an Italian translation. And I will keep working on this for the rest of my life because, as I said, it's, it's the mission in my life. And but whatever people can do to help me, please do. I love Buy it. Buy the book yes. and talk other people pass on this podcast and I hope many children and parents will benefit yes thank you so much and we will link to the book and in the show notes um where can people find you out so we'll link to the book and we'll link to your website is there anywhere else where people can reach out to you and will you tell us your website just in case someone is driving and can't write this down or can't go to uh the website right away yeah, it's babymoves.co.nz. So babymoves, one word, uh, dot, babymoves.co.nz. Beautiful. That's awesome. And we will link again in the show notes. You can find links to everything we talked about there, you guys, as usual. Um, we are just so grateful to have had you on. I, I have goosebumps. It's funny because, you know, I've had your book for a while and I heard about you so long ago. And to think that now I'm sitting here getting to interview you, it's really such a, such a treat and um, kind of a dream. So thank you for taking time to, to uh, talk to me and working with me on the time zones and all of it. Um, I'm just so grateful for your time. You're very welcome. And uh, maybe we'll have to get you back on at some point to share any, any updates and hopefully this podcast will be a little help in spreading the word and getting people to just better understand how impactful development and the way that our babies move is on basically every facet of life. So um, we'll have to stay in touch. Yeah. And thank you very much, Laura, for giving me this opportunity. It's a treat. I really appreciate it very much. My pleasure. And I hope you enjoy summer in New Zealand and um, maybe we'll get to meet in person when we can eventually get out there. That would be lovely. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a good day. And um, we will talk soon. And guys, thanks for listening. You can find me at laura.radicalroots, just at just.holdthespace on Instagram. And you can, as always, email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, subscribe, review. We love you. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you, Marianne. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. They don't know what to say. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time.